Well, good morning. Thanks for waiting. Can you imagine the people online? They're like, what in the world is going on? It's just a screen of countdown. I, um, I don't know what your day looked like yesterday, um, but, but my day was crazy, right? Just If you just think about what went down in our small town yesterday. We started uh, last night. We could go with the Nutcracker. That's how our family ended. And then before that was the... The Christmas stroll, I think we had a couple of uh, thousand people, like 30,000 people downtown. Before that was the, the Bobcat game, right? Go Cats, am I right? <clears throat> Before that, you know, you could go to the mall, that was full of people, so it's just crazy, right? And I thought, let's just take a minute and see what happens if we just all stopped and waited together. Um, you know, in Churchland, we, we call this time of year Advent. It's, uh, it's the Latin word for, uh, for coming or, or arrival. And we spend an entire month of December, uh, we learn to wait again. To wait for Christmas, to wait for this expectant hope of Jesus Christ. But every year, I feel like the concept sort of slips out away from us. Because we really don't wait, if we're honest. This is the craziest time of the year, isn't it? And rather than make this, uh, this some sort of like an ethereal, like intangible pie in the sky concept, I wanted you to feel it with me for just one solid minute. Answer this with me. When, when the unexpected clock comes up on the screens and the wait begins, and we don't know whether or not we're supposed to stand or sit, and we wait, how are you at waiting? You know, I'm sure some of you are on to me. You read the sermon in the, the, the bulletins. You get the theme. You, you heard the Advent candle lighting. But even then, waiting is a bit unnerving, isn't it? Like, particularly when uh, things are not going to plan, when life maybe is not playing out how we thought it would, when, when, when waiting means something is beyond our control, we, we start asking questions. We get nervous. We, we have to whisper to somebody next to us. We check our phones. We, we wonder what, what is going on. I mean, you ever notice how like a minute just hauls by when you're watching a movie or hanging out with friends or, or, or up with that phone distracted? Why is it that 60 seconds suddenly just slows down to a crawl when there's nothing to do? I'm going to get to the text here in a minute, but I really want to set this up. Hear me out. Um, you know, at every stage of life, I feel like this is reality. Um, Maybe you can relate to this. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a, an insight into mine in the last 24 hours. Think about yours where you had to wait. Um, last night we were trying to get the girls out the door to, to go out to the, uh, the stroll downtown. And I told the girls, I said, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Get your shoes on. Get your shoes on. So one of my girls comes up to me and she goes, okay, I can only find one shoe, daddy. I said, okay, go get your other pair. I'll wait. She goes to get her other pair. She comes out. The shoes are on the wrong feet. Right? And I've, I've just gotten used to that by now. We just go with it. We just roll with it. But I look down, there's no socks. I said, little one, you, you got to go get, you got to go get socks on. She said, I don't have any socks. I said, you have socks. They're in your drawer. Go get your socks. I'll wait. She comes back out. She goes, okay, now it's time to go. Where's your coat? I can't find my coat. We need a coat. She said, I, I don't have a coat, daddy. I, don't, I, I said, the coat's in your room. She said, but we don't need a coat anyway. It's warm outside. I said, it's going to get cold. Go get your coat. So she goes to get her coat. We finally get out the door. The, the car is pulling out the driveway. The garage door is going down. I can see it. Freedom is in sight. And then I hear from the back seat, stop, stop. I said, what, why are we stopping? I can't get my seatbelt on. I'll wait. 
that we're well-practiced at waiting, right? I would guess most of us have a story in the last 24 hours. My, my point is, though, practice makes anything but perfect. So you think about your countenance when you're waiting. Most of the time when I'm waiting, I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm in a hurry, right? I'm, I'm caught up in it. I'm annoyed, maybe even a little bit angry. Here's why I started this, this, this morning with a 60-minute delay, right? We have to understand this. Waiting is at the core of who we are as God's people. If you are a follower of Christ, the paradox of following Jesus in this world is that you are called to wait, to hope in the Lord, right? To, to wait on him. So for the next few weeks, as we aim for Christmas, I want us to learn how to do this waiting thing well. Turn with me to Luke's gospel chapter one. And uh, you'll remember the story uh, of uh, Jesus' birth where, where we begin with this man, Zachariah. And him and his wife, they've waited their entire lives for God to answer this simple prayer for a son. That's it. This isn't a 60 second wait uh, or 60 hours. This is, this is 80 plus years, right? They've waited 80 some odd years for this answer to their prayer. And we, we open the story, we find this man who is all but given up. Aching heart unsettled, longing unmet. And yet in spite of all that, I want to show you how Zechariah faithfully waited on the Lord. And then I want us to see how God used his waiting, not only to bring an answer to his prayer, but to bring a son who would now usher in Jesus Christ to the world. And here's what we're going to look at as we open this up together. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at how Zechariah waited with his hands, how he waited with his feet, and how he waited with his heart. So Luke 1. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word, Lord, that, we, that it speaks to us. And so God, as we sit and we wait on you this morning, we, we wait for your word to speak to us. God, we pray, we know that it is living and active. And so we pray, God, that you would do just that. That you would, Lord, give us a word for our lives. That by your Holy Spirit, we would leave this place transformed today. Lord, sanctified, living for you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. 
The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So let's just, let's look at this first point. Zechariah waited with his hands. Imagine asking God for the same thing your entire life. And now you've come to the sunset years you know, when everyone else is supposed to be in retirement and you still have no answer. For some of us, maybe this is you. Maybe you don't have to imagine that this morning. This might be where you're at right now, but did you notice this? Zechariah had waited so long for a son that when the angel finally told him he would have one, his response was, how? Total doubt, how? How can I be sure? And when we think about waiting, I think we, we think about staring at the clock, right? Um, as Dean's sermon title last week gave us, it, it makes us think about the pause button. Waiting means time continues, but I've stopped. The more time passes by, maybe the less hope I have. I'm stuck on hold, right? It's, it's something that we think happens to us. But here's my thought this morning. What if waiting on the Lord was a call to do something proactive? What if waiting on the Lord was, was actually a, a verb to do something proactive? Look at how Zechariah waits with his hands. Look at this in verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This might seem obvious to you, but just walk this out with me. After a lifetime of waiting, no answer to his plea, no closure or conclusion to his prayer, Zechariah, who is now advanced in years, is faithfully serving God. Do you see that? Now, I think so often <clears throat> we see our, our prayer life with the Lord as him conforming to my will. We, we wouldn't say this out loud, right? But so often our prayers come with like this unfounded expectation that God's going to do what I want when I want it. So we close our eyes and we clasp our hands and, and we wait for him to conform to my desires, right? To my wishes, to, to my wants in my time. And if your life is anything like mine, then when things go to plan, when God moves like we thought he would, well, faith is easy. In fact, it's easy to serve, right? It's easy to serve when the Lord is doing things that I think he should do with me. You've been praying for that bonus check and when it comes... With thanksgiving, God, here's my tithe. You've been asking for good health, and when it returns, you, you feel this urge to step back in and give back. We bargain with God all the time, right? How many movies have we watched where the, the main character is saying to God, look, if you just give me this, bring me this, I'll do whatever you want. What happens when things don't go to plan? When life doesn't go how we thought it should? What happens when our prayers don't go answered? Then what do we do? See, Zechariah is this childless man, right? He's advanced in years, and as far as we can tell, the prayer of his life, he believes, is not coming to fruition. And culturally speaking, in that time, to be without a son was to be without honor. 
to be looked at your peers. Uh, your peers would look at you with disfavor. Some would have assumed this childlessness was even somehow wrapped up in Zechariah or Elizabeth's sin. Reminds me of the story we read weeks ago about the, the man born blind. Remember the, the question the disciples asked Jesus? Who was it that sinned that caused this man blindness? Was it, was it his parents or him? Humanly speaking, Zechariah had all the reason to leave his calling to serve, right? Um, he, he's a priest. So it's be so much easier to go hide in shame as he tries to wrestle with these questions in his mind. And yet Zechariah understands, it seems to me, that the relationship he has with God is not, if you do this, then I'll do that. It was God, come what may, my life is to abide and live into your will. Maybe you hear that and you say, Ryan, you don't know what I'm going through, right? I don't want to follow a God who allows painful things to happen in my life. Like, I don't want to believe in that God. And yet as followers of Christ, we know that even the unanswered prayers will one day be transformed into glory, right? That's what Christmas is about. Zechariah, in his waiting, in his waiting, he's serving the Lord still. The priesthood of Israel was, uh, at that time, was enormous. Imagine 24 divisions of priests. Each division had nearly 1,000 priests in it. So you do the math. That's 24,000 priests overseeing God's people. So I said to Brian at the legacy side, I said, we have three. 24,000 priests. Think about that. When it comes to typical uh, temple duties, each division would take one week twice a year. So people had to take turns, right? In verse 7, we're told that on this particular day, Zechariah's division, known as the division of Abijah, they were up to serve. And of a thousand priests in his division, Zechariah draws the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the temple and burn incense on behalf of the people. It was the holy lottery. It was like the pinnacle moment of a priest's life. So he prepares to go in and make offering to the Lord. And we're told as he does that, he passes by the people on the steps who will be praying him into the sanctuary. In that moment, a, a priest would typically walk into the holy place it was called. They would do their work on the altar. And then they would walk back out on the steps and there would be the celebration of the church that would take place. And as they stand before the people, they would give them the ironic blessing. You know the ironic blessing? Shake your head and say, yes, I do. Because we say it every Sunday, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Say it with me. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. Lord, lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Some of you were looking at the screens like, I don't know it. You know it. See, in his waiting, right, in his, his hoping, in his pause of a lifetime, he was serving. Where do you have a hard time waiting on God? This week I was struck with this this. A sense of both <clears throat> praise and thanksgiving, but also lament and sadness. Uh, Timothy Keller, if you know that name, he is a hero to me. He, he is the grandfather figure of, of the faith to me. He, he is the preacher of preachers. He is, he is my preacher. And he wrote this, this article um, published in a secular magazine about how he's, uh, he's preached the faith, right, his entire life. But now he's, he's facing the realities on the other side of the pulpit. He was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And in this announcement, um, he wrote about the Psalms. He said, you know, if you ever read the Psalms, you find this, this sense of waiting, of longing of God's people. Prayers like, wake up, Lord, why are you sleeping? That's in here. 
How long, Lord? How, how long will you forget us? How, how long will you stand away? I think for the believer, we, we have to see this. We have to wrap our minds around this. Life is waiting. In one way or another, like life is waiting on God. The question is how? How do we do this well? In his waiting, Zechariah was serving, not because of what God was doing or not doing in his life, but because he trusted God nonetheless, because of who God is. Secondly, secondly, Zechariah not only waited with his hands, but he waited with his feet. Look at this in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest, division of Abijah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Notice this. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. How does one walk blamelessly? They walk blameless in the commandments and statutes of God. I don't know about you, but when I think about me and waiting, me in the queue, me on hold, I'm typically not doing it blameless. How about you? Really, think about the last time you were stuck in traffic or, or waiting on someone to call you back, stuck in line someone, somewhere, and, and ask yourself, how was it with your soul in that moment? And those are trite, right, Com compared to waiting for the doctor to call us back. Trite compared to waiting for a loved one to pass. You know why we hate waiting so much? I think the reason that we fall into sin so often when we find ourselves waiting in a, a pause in life, and this is just my thought, but I think it's, it's because deep down in that space, we realize and we have to face the fact that we're not in control, right? That life is passing us by, whether it's 60 seconds or 60 years, the clock is ticking and we're now faced with the reality that time is fleeting. And yet, I think instead of using that time to give our lives back to God where it properly belongs, we begin to try to take it back for ourselves. So we swerve around that car and we lay on the horn or we bark at the children to move faster out of the house or we serve that, that client with our frustration for falling behind in their work and we rush life, right, thinking somehow that's going to make us arrive. You know, the stories of Mount Everest are fascinating to me. Anybody follow like the Mount Everest stories? Being a good Bozemanite, like I'm telling you, yeah, there's a few that have been, been, been near like, just imagine Mount Everest with me. Like, think about climbing a mountain 29,000 feet in the air, right? First, you start in the deserts and like, in shorts, and you're, you're, you're hiking through the, the rugged terrain, and then you end up in the coldest, windiest place on earth. They call it the death zone. You know this. And they call it that because when you hit that altitude, without oxygen, your body literally begins actively dying. So imagine you get all the way up on top, and this is what you see. Look at this picture. Some have had to wait up to 12 hours in that place to summit. 12 hours. Like, I can't even fathom the feelings inside. All that work, all that preparation, decades probably of planning, and now you wait. Some have no choice but to go back down to live another day, try again, but others push it beyond their limits, right? They've come too far. They've worked too hard for this. And so even if that means compromising their team and their own safety, they're doing it. Even if it means dying on the way down. Why is that? I'm not a climber or a psychologist, so I'll stay out of it. But here's my point. What if, what if it was in our waiting that God was doing something transformative? 
What if it was there that we, we learned to be still and look for God rather than on the peak? What, what if we, we began to learn in those waiting moments to ask God, Lord, what are you doing right now in this moment? Why am I stuck in this mountain? How can I capitalize right now on this? See, Zechariah and Elizabeth waited with their feet. They, they walked blamelessly in their waiting. Luke is not saying that they were perfect, right? That they were not in need of the saving work of Christ. We know that's what it means to be blameless, to be righteous. He's saying even in their waiting, though, they were people who sought the Lord anyway. People who had unanswered prayers, but they walked with God nonetheless. Reminds me of the story of Job. Remember Job? We've all heard about Job. Job is wrecked with just about every calamity that you could come up with, right, for a man. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his family. He's lost his health. And so his wife comes to him and she says to him, she says, are you still trying to hold your integrity? Just curse God and die. Just get it over with, Job. Remember what Job responds with. Remember how he responds to his wife. He says, I think this is so wise. He says, should we only accept good from God and not difficulty? In other words, are you willing to accept God's sovereignty even when it doesn't make sense? Even when your will doesn't quite align with his will? Are you willing to, to recalibrate and praise him still? Zechariah waited with his hands. Zechariah waited with his feet. They were walking blamelessly. And lastly, I, I want to suggest that he waited with his heart. Look at this in verse 12. This angel, Gabriel, appears to him standing just to the right side of the altar. And look at how this goes. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, rightly so. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Your son's going to be John the Baptist, right? Your son's going to be the one who baptizes Jesus. I read this story every Christmas, start at Luke and read it through, right? Every Christmas. And every Christmas season, I think to myself, what was the prayer he's talking about? Where is it? The angel said, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, right? What prayer? If you have your Bibles open, just scan this chapter. Otherwise, I'm going to walk us through this. But there's no sign of Zechariah praying. Luke tells us he walked in the temple to burn incense in verse 9. Then he tells us the people are outside. They're praying in verse 10. We know they're, they're gathered up. But it's almost as if Zechariah didn't have enough time to even begin praying. The angel shows up before he even gets started. So what is the prayer that the angel refers to? Your prayer has been heard. Here's my hunch, and maybe I'm stretching it here. Maybe I just needed a third point for my sermon. But my hunch is that waiting was his life. Zechariah was always praying. It was a lifestyle. Your prayer has been heard. Think about this. One day when you walk into glory, what prayers will we have thought God ignored or put down or forgot about? And God will look at us and say, I heard every one of them. I heard your prayers. Look at how Jesus later teaches his disciples this concept. He's, he's about to give them the parable of the persistent widow. Look at this in Luke 18, 1. He says, you should always pray and never lose heart. 
Even if you don't get it, right? Even if you're angry, even if you're struggling with patience, even if you can't see why God won't move, Jesus says, pray anyway. Paul would agree. Look at this in Philippians 4, 6. He says, don't be anxious about anything. With everything, by prayer and supplication, make your thanksgiving or your request be known to God. And it's waiting. Zechariah was, was praying, right? He, he waited with his heart. When was the last time you made time to intentionally wait on God? What if the next time we find 60 seconds on the clock, or, or geez, what if we just stop to actually make 60 minutes on the clock just to stop and wait and pray? What if in our waiting, instead of grumbling or complaining or, or going to distractions like our phone, what if we took a moment to actually have a conversation with God and uh, say, God, just realign my heart with yours today, will you? It's easier preached than lived. I'll give you that. But think about this. All the while, Zachariah is praying with his own personal reasons, wanting a son. Nothing wrong with that. We get that, right? Thoughts were valid. Prayers understandable. Zachariah giving this in his entire life, going, Lord, what is, what is the deal? I can't. What is the timing here? I don't understand. And yet God had something far greater in the works. He had no idea what God was up to behind the scenes, right? So the angel comes to Zechariah. He says, Zechariah, you asked for a son, right? You waited with all your heart, right? But Zechariah, here's, here's the plan. Think about this. Not only will you rejoice at his, verse, at, his, at his birth, look at this in verse 14. He says, multitudes will rejoice at his birth. Not only will you have this child to raise, but look at this in verse 16. He says, this child is going to turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 18, he says, Zechariah, you wanted a son. This son is going to make ready the Lord a people prepared for Jesus Christ. It begs the question, right? What will God do with our waiting? If we can, if we can master this idea of hoping and expecting in the advent, the coming of Jesus Christ. So this week, here's our charge, right? Wait with your hands. Wait with your feet and wait with your heart, knowing, knowing that however God answers your prayer, one day we will all find out in glory why God moved or didn't move how we thought. Pray with me, will you? God, we know that this morning as we look at the scripture, we're looking at an imperfect man, Lord, we... We know that how the story continues is Zechariah is given silence as a gift to continue waiting in his doubt. So Lord, we ask, would you, would you make us a people of faith and not doubt? Would you make us a people of patience instead of hurry? Lord, we pray this week that you would, you would take this word and put it in our hearts that we would learn what it is to wait expectantly with hope of the Messiah, of the Savior, of Jesus Christ. Lord, not only for Christmas and the celebration that will come with, but Lord, we hope and we wait for his second coming. Lord, when all the questions of, of our days will find the answer of Jesus Christ. Lord, keep us focused on that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.